Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song. This week, it's I Found a Way. Midway on Elmo's journey, I found myself in dark woods. The right way to find myself to tell about those woods is hard at To tell about the savage for thinking of it now. I feel the old fear stir Stumbling through the dark with a broken heart All alone at it once again Seeping in like a feeling you haven't felt since way back when In the dead of that night like the summer of Sam I got word of the commotion you caused via telegram And got all word You know what bothers me about the song, Tim? The... No, what bothers you about this song, David? The way they spell away You know, I was going to open up with that bit I feel like it's kind of impossible not to. Well, when I when I looked at it, when it came up on my shuffle on the playlist for this week, I was like, "Is that a is that a typo? Yeah, is this like a weird my... iTunes thing?" And then I and then I thought about it a little bit, and it's like, "What you found you found a way as if it's like an object? Mm-hmm. Doesn't really work." No, but welcome. As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio. I'm Tim Crisp. I'm the host of As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio. We are here in David Anthony's apartment. Hello, this is my house. A little bit different. Different vibe. Setup. You know, I got a, I got a whole big studio in my, in my home, a recording studio for my multiple uh, award-winning podcasts. But we got some we got some work being done over there at the homestead. They're fixing our kitchen cabinets. So. Yeah, and though you know, I'm more of the working class everyman on the podcast, so I, I don't have I can't just, you know, devote spaces in my home to, you know, recreational activities. Well uh, but it, we've got a couple couches. I don't, know if it's, I don't know if it's recreational. It's have have I ever told you this that it is it is one of my life goals is to refuse to accept an award. If I really if I could do that one day, last year, better yet, finished second in the Chicago Readers poll. That's right. Um which is, I mean, incredible considering the fact that at that time I wasn't really recording episodes, like I wasn't plugging it or anything like that. It's just, you know, pure devotion. It just happened. All of my fans who have followed me over here to as you were a podcast about Alkaline Trio, but I would really, really like to win that award one day just so I could refuse to accept it whereas i hope we win so i can accept it and everyone will lavish me and you're just you know sad in the corner yeah that's that's my life but hey uh welcome to the show we have an exciting song to talk about this week uh i found a way which was the winner of our very first patreon poll first time uh how how do people vote on the poll? How do we pick the songs? How do how do people get the chance to uh to pick one that we talk about? Well, I don't know if you know anything about Patreon, but it is a platform where content providers can uh, can can interact uh, directly with their with their listeners, with their content consumers. So we have a page over on Patreon. 
uh, where people are able to help us support the show, help us, uh, you know, when we need our kitchen cabinets replaced or something like that. That is what your money's going to while I just am starving, actually. Um, but what we have set up over there at patreon.com slash as you were is a few tiers um, of pledge donations established. So if you want to go over to patreon.com slash as you were, you can pledge to us $2 a month, which is the price of uh, uh, some planters mixed nuts at a convenience store. Which where I love. Like, I love those too, but you're like, why are these $2? Exactly. They, they're yeah. $0.89 cents at the grocery store. Um, we also have a $5 a month subscription platform where you get the opportunity to listen to bonus episodes, mm-hmm. one of which we just recorded. It's uh, It's a big one. It's a good one, it is if I may one. say it was so myself. so fun. It was so nice to go and get a sandwich after because I was just so tired, so famished. I mean, we wear ourselves out. We got we to gotta stay hydrated and we got to stay fed, and that's where the Patreon comes in. Um, and, and not only do you get a bonus episode with $5 pledge, but you also um, you have the opportunity to vote. Every three weeks, we're going to put up a poll on the Patreon and give all of our pledgers the opportunity to vote for the song that they would like us to talk about this week. The winner by a narrow margin Mm -hmm. was I found a way. So if you want to get over there quickly while your vote still matters, I mean, it always matters, but it matters matters, a lot more at this juncture. Um, Then there's a $10 tier where you get all of those things plus quarterly merchandise. We got some cool things lined up. Mugs, t-shirts, some prints, lithographs. I have an idea that uh, I've been sitting on for some time and I can't wait to to unveil. So, go over there. Um, you know, donate. We really appreciate all of you. The response has been amazing. It's been so cool to get to interact with people and see people voting and like talking about what songs they want to hear and like reacting to this stuff. So, Please, if you are someone who's donating, let's use that space so we can all have a conversation about these things. Let's like make it a community and make it a really cool thing. Um, and on that note, we actually have another big piece of news. And I know news is boring, right? But this is really oh, I good. News. Oh, I, I don't know. There, there's no, there's no good news anymore. Well, I've got some good news for you. In the year of our Lord, 2018, we. Uh, as you were a podcast about alkaline trio has a sponsor now. And I know what you're saying to yourself. Is it Casper mattresses? Is it, um, whatever shave club? Yeah. Bluebell delivery, whatever. No, we, we wanted to do something. We didn't want to just shill a product to you guys. And we wanted to give you something that would actually give you something as opposed to just listening to us blather on. And, um, this week we've partnered up, well, not this week, but moving forward, we've partnered up with Mike Park of Asian Man Records. Uh, Asian Man, as you might be familiar, released a lot of the early Alkaline Trio stuff, Lawrence Arms, Broadway's, a lot of cool bands. And what we're doing is every week we're going to we're gonna plug uh, Asian Man, but we're also going to give you an exclusive coupon code. If you go to Asian Man and you're like, hey, like, oh, I really want to pick up... Well, let's say, I don't know, the Matt Skiba and Kevin Second split. Ooh, what, a, uh, what a doozy of a release. You go there, you put that in your cart, you go to the checkout, you type in code as you were, 
all one word, lowercase, you get 10% off that purchase. So you're telling me that like if I wanted to go, like let's say let's say I only have uh, the first three Alkaline Trio records on CD and, sure. uh, and I want to upgrade to vinyl. Now's the time. Because they've got all of that stuff stocked. Also, new releases. This is, this is a label that has continually been on the pulse especially with west coast music Mm -hmm. and let me tell you from my experience with talking to people from the west coast the the bias that exists towards the central standard time and eastern standard time bands that are doing things that's real but bands like hard girls so good the exquisites so good diners so good all putting things out on asian man records all great stuff that's happening currently I mean, right now, this year alone, Mike's put out the Warm Thoughts LP, which I love. It's called I Went Swimming Alone. If you like the Weaker Thans, you'll love it. It's the drummer, Elliot from Touche Amore. It's the homie. Great record. Check that out. Go buy it and get save a little bit with the code as you were. Or beyond that, Mike Park and Maura Weaver of Mixtapes fame have a new band. They just put out a new record. They're out there on tour opening for Alkaline Trio. Go get that record. Save a little bit of money. If you didn't have money at the show to grab the record... Grab it from Asian man. Use it as you were as a code. Save a little bit of money. And you know this is this is something that like when when David fostered this deal, I I had nothing to do with this. I don't I don't matter here, but it's it's pretty humbling to be connected to this label for Truly. both of us. I mean, my for Christmas when I turned sixteen, my aunt was buying my presents that year mm-hmm. she said what you know what do you want i just sent her the asian man records catalog with things circled oh totally i remember getting those catalogs in like cds or lps and like just going through them and reading those one sentence descriptions of being like what does the broadway sound like what's the honor system like yeah. just discovering this wealth of material and they continue to do that they continue to put out new bands they put out a lot of great stuff and truly an honor to be doing this with Mike, the the vote of confidence from him to want to do this and sponsor us means the world. And I'm stoked that we get to give out, you know, a little bit of a discount to the people who listen to this podcast because we're all doing this cool thing together. We're all excited about, you know, music and the culture around it. So, yeah, this is uh, it, it's truly uh, exciting to me at least and I hope it's exciting to everybody listening I mean I think I'm past the point where Asian Man Records isn't going to put out a record by Tim Crisp so this sure is, this is this is as good as it as it can get from me and uh, and it's pretty it's pretty damn great so it's super exciting and uh, yeah we are looking forward to that relationship moving forward and now moving on moving on I found a way the fifth song on Agony and Irony, a record that the Alkaline Trio released in July of 2008. Now, we previously talked about In Vain mm-hmm. and Live Young, Die Fast, but that's all the way back there. That's episodes four and eight. Yeah, that's really early on. It, and it's been some time since we've been back to this record. Maybe this is a, this is a good time to remind all y'all out there one of the tiny premises of this show is the fact that agony and irony this is the record where i kind of dropped off with the alkaline trio Mm -hmm. i remember putting this on walking to a party and just 
getting getting about halfway through it and just being like, I think that my I think that my time with this band is is done. It's sure it's past. Um, so I haven't listened to that record since 2008 when it came out. I haven't really listened to anything beyond that. So I'm hearing this for the first time. David, you were there. I was there. Feet usually, on the ground. Usually we start with you, but mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna take it on this one because sure. surprising to many out there with the way that I kind of like look at these later era LPs from the Alkaline Trio. I like this song so much. It's a really good song, and the thing I'm going to say is that as I've kind of alluded to as we've talked about songs from this record and like my shame is true in this addiction is we've kind of landed on a lot of the ones I don't really like. And I think are representative of them kind of faltering a bit more. This is not one of those songs to me. This is a song that I like a lot. I'm surprised it wasn't one of the early singles. I think there was a lot of weirdness with how singles were put out from this record and what they chose. But if I'm being real, like, to me, this is like a perfect distillation of them taking what they were doing on Infirmary and Good Morning and Crimson and making it a little bigger. It sounds like an alt-radio track. And totally. an alt-radio track in 2008, too. You think about like what was, you know, what was big then. It was bands like My Chemical Romance and things that, you know, arguably kind of piggybacked on what the Alkaline Trio was doing and turned sure. it into, you know, something like grant on a grander scale this i thought just like co-opted that and and turned it into something that it felt like trio and i think this is something where my perspective on this uh kind of benefits from is that i heard this and i was like this is not the same band but this is a fucking good song sure i think that's i think that's obviously one of the things that makes this record and even some of the more recent ones difficult for people is that it doesn't feel like the same band and I think this record more than a lot of them was really a drop-off point for a lot of people because you know in 2008 when I first heard this song I definitely liked it but it was it, it took a minute it was not immediate whatever now it feels like well yeah dude duh of course this is very good right well it's like it's kind of it's where it's where you were at then yeah probably it's like the idea that something that has kind of commercial aspirations you kind of get a little offended by it right totally and i mean now we've had literally 10 years to kind of sit on this record and sit on what they've done since so like there is a little bit of you know this is one of the songs that if i were to make a mixtape of the past 10 years of alkaline true like the good stuff this would make the cut for sure yeah you know and i think it's interesting that as best as i can tell this is really the only one you know, aside from the past live performances, full album performances notwithstanding, it's one of the only songs from this record that's really stayed in rotation for them in in sets. Well, I think that that makes a lot of sense to me because when you listen to this song, it sort of has it has a lot of the things that we, you know, maybe in our in our less positive criticisms of this band are kind of you know, we're not all in on like the guitar effects and things like that. And the, the layering that seems to just kind of camouflage the fact that, you know, maybe these songs don't really have the thought that they should have put into them. Yeah. This is one where it's like, this has 
big aspirations and they really like built a like palette behind it like i could imagine just like being in the control room for this song like as it's being mixed and being really fucking proud of the way it came out totally i mean i think there's there's little chunks that i take issue with i think the first verse is a lot of like table setting uh-huh. you know um because the song doesn't really it has an intro which we'll get to but not really it just kind of starts chugging and it has almost like that burn guitar effect that was the thing is like yeah i was kind of well we'll get to the we'll get to the sample yeah we'll talk at, uh, at length about the sample in a second here but when this song came on for the first time the sample really caught me because it just had like a different approach to it and I was sort of, I think that I was, within the first few seconds of this song, much more willing to go with it than sure. other things that I've heard, where I've just, you know, hmm. you've been in the room when when I've heard songs for the first time in front of you, <laughs> yeah. and just been like, oh my god, like, what is this? Well, it's interesting, because yeah, I mean, this is definitely indicative of, like, them doing those things and it working, and there's plenty of examples of them doing it and not working, and I think the big difference for me is generally in the commitment to it because though I think that first verse is kind of extraneous and, and just a way to get to the chorus. So what, what don't you like about that? Because I, I really, I like every part of this song. I think it's just, it's, it's one of those rare songs where like it almost sounds like it originally started with them opening with the chorus. Okay. And I feel like the beginning's a little tacked on. It's not bad, but it's just, it always kind of has that weird stuttery groove to me that I'm like, it just like slows down and he's, but I, I kind of like that because I, I like the way Skiba kind of punctuates the lines. Whereas yeah. it's, it's in contrast, the chorus, which are, are all very like large scale, like wrung out, uh, sure. syllables. Sure. Yeah. I, and I like his delivery of it, but like the lyrics are a little ham fisted to me. The summer of Sam line, I was always kind of like rolling my eyes at a little bit. I'm all right with it, but once it gets going and once you're up the hill, it's it's easier for me to forgive it. Like, I think it has that huge chorus that um, a lot of bands would kind of kill to write. And they don't really write in this way often. Like, yeah. the reason I kind of like it is because it's it's unabashed about being that, especially with Derek's playing on it. I've always really enjoyed his, Yo, like, hi-hat Derek, work in this. The hi-hat work is fantastic just because he does that kind of, like, dancey thing but he doesn't keep on it too long yeah he drops off of those like before you kind of like catch on to like oh that's the thing that he's gonna do like throughout the course he drops it before it gets to you know he kind of takes it away and i like that yeah and i think the thing about it is like for as big and as poppy as it is they are making a lot of weird decisions here and i think that's what makes this work as opposed to I don't know, maybe some of the songs off My Shame is True where there is a lot of effects and there's this stuff kind of in the way to me because it doesn't feel like everyone is considering the whole. And here it feels like everyone is making very conscious decisions about how do we get it up to this chorus? How do we bring it back down? How do we have a bridge that slides into kind of like a dance groove? Yeah. Almost like I think it's a very bold song to me that I think kind of... feels almost deceptive in how hooky it is. I think that that's what I really latch on to is that, you know, when we get into this era, I think the biggest criticism that comes is that a lot of it feels lazy. And this one is just so 
committed and it does push in that way and yeah. it doesn't really make any apologies for yeah, it. Yeah, I mean this is the antithesis of lazy. This is a song that was like very like very considered written in a way that is hard for me to think about how it came together. Yeah. Um and it, it also ma- this is like the perfect example to me of when they're trying to bring in those outside elements of like effects, samples, spoken stuff like I and, and like the guitars too like yeah. each each part has like guitars that are placed differently they're strummed differently like they all have different tones to it and when yes it's 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 a very smart like studio craft yes and i do think that is maybe part of the issue of why maybe some of these songs haven't endured is because if you see them try to play the song live it's cool but you're losing a lot of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, th- this is a. It's honestly, when I think of this song, I'm like, how do you actually play this in a set? Because it's difficult. There's a lot of layers. You have to really kind of simplify almost, and you have to play with these effects. And like, I don't know. It's it's one of those songs where like I really like it, but I'm surprised they. No, not surprised, but the fact that they pulled it off as well as they did. You know, it shows that this is the good version of the things I complain about, right? Yeah. Like when I when I'm critiquing it, it's because I know they can do something on this caliber, but either they're being lazy, or either it's not coming together, or they're using some of these hallmarks and these sounds as stand-ins or things to just like kind of put there because maybe it isn't as full as it needs to be. Is the critique of agony and irony that it's overproduced? Do you think? I don't. I don't know if it's overproduced. I would say too clean. Uh-huh. My big critique of this record, and obviously, if you go back all the way to episode one where we rank these, this is not my least favorite record because I like them going for stuff and pulling it off as they do here. But the problem is there are certain songs, some of which I would even say are good songs, that just have like literal sound effects in them. Yeah, you know, of like a ringing clock and shit like that that that's the stuff i really don't like it's why i don't love some of the decisions on later records of like here's kind of like a motorcycle sound and you know just like very like they got a like cd from party city of just like spooky halloween sounds and decided this is what we need to put in that's the shit i don't like this feels really organic and this feels considered and placed well and i could see how even when they come out of that first chorus into the second verse there's that like really kind of weird like electronic-y flutter that comes in i yeah. can see that putting people off but it's so it kind of happens there and not really there's like again. that shimmery effect that happens too in the bridge yeah the song has a very good bridge oh too. i love the bridge and in i the feel song. like that this is like maybe one of those songs where it's like all right if this gets airplay we gotta have a bridge right here like that's kind of it's like set in a formula that like you can't not have a bridge for a radio track well and that bridge is like a rolling stone well no totally and and that bridge to me is very like like post faint kind of like yeah sure dancey type of thing but they do they make it feel theirs like this doesn't feel referential in the way some other stuff does from this period but i do think like this song and the one that follows it are a really great example of them feeling like themselves feeling a little bigger and i don't know i just uh I like I found a way quite a bit. I've got minor quibbles, but nothing that's like, oh, like I'm not marking down huge points because they pull it off in the end. Yeah, I think I was I was signed on pretty quickly. This is probably the first of the, uh, you know, post vagrant songs that have come up 
in this show that I've been really, really down with. Yeah, and I think it makes sense. You know, if you like this one, I think you're going to find other ones in the next few records. But, you know, that's the thing is we're always rolling the dice. We can't just, like, orchestrate it so next week or, you know, in three weeks, I guess, we're going to get one of those. So I, it's fun to see which ones hit you because I don't know if they're going to. Right. Yeah. You know, I when we talked about this... I, I felt like my removal from it was a, was a very, like, that was really helpful for me in in this instance in particular because i was just like i was like what this is this is a song i have i have like no reason to be mad at what this song is trying to be yeah i'm just hearing it and saying like this is a fucking good song it's and i do think really well. sometimes devoid of context like the fact that i think agony and irony has a lot of holes in it and this song kind of comes up midway through where the first four songs if they're not catching you and there's two songs preceding it in vain and then i think it's over and out both of which are pretty eh like it could probably feel worse yeah you know yeah but, sure but I mean, look yeah, i could i could see this as as being someone's like tipping point yeah on this record um let's talk about the sample yes um so that spoken passage is done by douglas pierce um douglas p as he is known of the band death in june now uh this record's interesting because it has probably the most collaborations of of any of them in that douglas p's on it the black metal band ulver um contributes a couple of electronic sections to a couple different songs and you know this was the major label record so obviously they could fly in these dudes from europe or whatever and get them to do a spoken word thing for 15 seconds but Douglas P uh, is a pretty controversial figure in in the world of underground music, I guess I would say. I don't think a lot of people know who he is. I don't think a lot of people know who Death in June is. But he's someone who has got a lot of flack over the years for, you know, always playing with Nazi imagery, fascist imagery, singing about that a lot. Um but he's a complex figure in the sense that, like, if you read about his life, you know, he was born, I think, in the 50s, late 50s, early 60s in England. His dad fought in World War II. He talked about how, like, that kind of thing really influenced him growing up. There was a lot of war artifacts in his home. And, you know, he's an openly gay person. And he spends most of his work kind of, you know, dealing with war and nazism and genocide and all these kind of topics he's been uh his style of kind of neo-folk electronic electronic whatever has been a kind of the jumping off point for a lot of people to use uh that type of music as a white power ish thing um but i never really cared about death in june and i've never really explored it so I guess I just don't really know how to feel about something like this because I I don't inherently think that everyone who is interested in these topics, especially people from Europe who were born, you know, shortly after, you know, within two decades of World War II ending, you know, th- I'm, I understand where that fascination and this stuff could come from, but I don't. Right now, it feels really weird to be like, yeah, it's fine, because there's, there's so much of it being used in a way that is, is truly right. bad. So, and, and, you know, let's, let's unpack this a, a little bit, because I think that this is something that, you know, it's uh, sadly today is 
prevalent and it's mm-hmm. it's it's insane to me to consider the fact that this is something that has just become a part of of daily life is that we're fucking we're fucking dealing with nazis in 2018 yes um but punk from pretty much its inception has had a fascination with fascist and nazi uh you know imagery articles things things of that nature and it's sort of it's it's a weird thing to look at and it's a weird thing to unpack without veering into a territory where you are kind of feeling like you're justifying it in some way or explaining it in some way and i think that it's when it comes to using shit like this in 2018 when we're like we're watching all of this bullshit happen it's like no you are not nobody nobody is fucking throwing throwing imagery like that onto their art and explaining it as art to me in a way that makes me want anything to fucking do with it and totally not to like smash it but if you look at you know england post-war you talk about people that grew up or were born like in the 1950s when they're rebuilding following the you know largest war that's ever happened in recorded history following a, an insane genocide somebody wanted to take over the world like every re, every generation is reacting in some way to that which came before them and so when you look at the people who are huge um kind of progenitors of the early punk movement those are all people in the mid 70s who were born in the mid 50s mm-hmm. so the I would say the pathos behind a swastika on whether it's like Malcolm McLaren or it's the Ramones who are all Jewish. Yeah. Um, the point of it at that time is to immediately create shock and reaction. Yeah. Now there's a great story in please kill me where, the Ramones walk into a recording studio. They've got like swastika armbands on their producers. Like, no, what the fuck are you doing? You get that shit out of there. And they're just like, we don't even, well, you don't even know what it really means. Yeah. Which is fucking insane to think about the fact that you don't know what a swastika is. I mean, to be fair, they, they were not the brightest bulbs burning that as much story, as I love that them, story yeah. of, of them touring with the talking heads in Europe and the talking heads want to go to all the art museums and they just want to get cheeseburgers. Yes. It's the fucking funniest thing. I relate to the cheeseburgers. Um, yeah, no, I mean, th- that's been prevalent in punk since the beginning. Right. And like, I think it's interesting to talk about it because as I've said to you, and I think what's really fascinating is that though there was that element of punk of the shock thing, there were a lot of, you know, queer people, people of color. There were a lot of different, you know, people using this music. A lot of it has been erased through the way we've documented it by talking about, you know, the Ramones and X more than we talk about the plugs and the zeros and the bags and like all these people, um, all of whom were like there on the front lines doing it and we're playing with these bands and bringing in other perspectives and heritages and that's continued, but you know, it's the way that most people can name, you know, fucking, I'm trying to think of like a great example. Cause I was going to say like, can name like, I don't know, hate breed instead of limp wrist. 
Right. You know, and I think that's just part of it is it appeals to a slightly different person. But the, the point I'm getting at is that, you know, the shock value part of it makes sense when it's less real. Right. Yeah. And, and you can play around with it. and You can do this. And I wrote a big thing a year or so ago about the issue of, you know, Nazis and white power people and metal because it's very prevalent there to this day. And, you know, my take is not that, like, I think anyone who decides to explore these topics or find fascination in these topics is a Nazi. Um, I don't think everyone who makes a movie about World War II is like, look how cool this shit is. You know, generally writing songs about war or um, write, making movies about war is inherently anti-war to a certain degree. Right. Uh, however... If you are playing around with a lot of death skulls and sun wheels and stuff, if, if you can't explain why you're using it, if you don't have a very good justification for like, yes, we're using this to evoke this because we think there is power in this and we need to talk about this and we need to use this to explore and remember what happened and how this was fucked up. Okay. But if you're just like, we refuse to address why we use this thing, and we think anyone who brings this up is dumb. And like, that's the death in June stance on all of it, right? It, is that I, there's mm, no, they're they're not going out there and saying like, no, fascism is is wrong, and Nazism is a fucking evil thing. Yeah, they're just kind of, in in some ways, I think maybe taking advantage of the fact that we are having a conversation about this band right now just because of the ambiguity that's happening here. totally and i think that's part of it and you know it's one of those things where it's like there's a lot of times in the wake of me being very vocally outspoken about like yeah i don't really have time for these white power you know lunkheads in my world people will hit me up and be like oh did you hear about this band they've done something and like maybe sometimes they have and maybe sometimes it's just an association or something and i don't know like i'm not telling anyone how to think like you should investigate it and and choose your own path forward but death in june was something that was never on my radar but knowing all this doesn't really make me inclined to check it out is kind of where i fall i don't find the music very compelling to be honest but also like i don't want to fuck around and like buy 30 records from this artist who maybe is a bad guy i don't know yeah i think that at this at this juncture in time i just don't really have an investment like that in in my life like totally. I, don't, I don't i don't it doesn't really do it for me um i think that it's unfortunately you know i think that the early association that existed where there was you know really only utilizing an image for the sense of shock i think that has been co-opted and a lot of like bad shit has you know been a part of punk um because of it yes and i mean we get into we get into like big arguments on agency there of like you know is it whose fucking fault is that people who want something gross and and violent and disgusting like that are going to seek it out and find it in whatever way they can so that's all a philosophical debate for yeah. another day. Yeah. We bring it up not because we're like, oh, I this doesn't make me feel any type of way about Alkaline Trio or the members of it. Um, and in 2008, or probably when they recorded this in 2007, very different time, honestly. It sounds quaint, and that's not an excuse for someone doing something shitty, but I don't... 
this doesn't throw up any weirdness to me. I think it was a decision they made to try and like, you know, be like, we have these other fascinations outside of punk. We have a major label and can afford to do it. And we think it would be cool to put this weirdo shit on our record. Um, that's probably the thought that went into it. If I had to guess. Yeah. And it's something that probably, you know, I don't think that they'd be doing it today. And I certainly don't think that, you know, the, the court of public opinion would be too down with them doing it. And, you know, that's, I would say probably for the best. Yeah. But we went into, we went into it. We always go into it. You gotta, Hey, um, what do you rate this song? This is a time where I wish I could have halves between the halves, but I'm going to go uh, three and a half skulls out of five. I'm going I'm going up. I'm going four skulls out of five for this track. Uh, hey, if you like what we're doing here, subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher. Tell a friend about it. That's been that's been one of the most helpful and exciting parts for us is, you know, people reaching out to to old homies being like hey there's this there's this show about alkaline trio and you know you reconnect with friends and and we get new people coming by here and that's been a really exciting part of of doing all of this is is hearing from all of you who are excited by the conversation that we're having um hit us up on twitter at as you were pod email is as you were podcast at gmail.com that patreon baby baby patreon.com slash as you were we got a bonus episode coming locked and loaded matter of days you can head over out there for the subscribers you can head over and check that and then you can head over to asianmanrecords.com pick up some records use that uh promo code as you were Save ten percent. Um, help out Mike Park. Help out us. I think I think that's a win-win. Is what we call that in the biz. It's what we call it in the biz. I checked the Asian Man store. They don't still have the uh, "Keep Trash in Its Place" T-shirt available. True, but they got so many great things over there, like the Matt Skiba Kevin Second split. I I don't know why we keep bringing it up, but we do. You know, and and here's a one one thing I just want to throw out at the end here because it's hilarious to me. Uh, never forget the uh, review that Pitchfork Media ran of Maybe I'll Catch Fire, where they trashed it, and uh, and then in the 10 in the Swear Jar review a few years later, said that uh, Mike Park's symbol, the Asian Man logo, is not the Korean flag, but the Pepsi logo. So never forget, friends. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Thanks, folks. <laughs>